Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Father, even as that psalm says, Lord, we thirst for you. Lord, we have come here thirsty. We have come here as those who need to be refreshed by your presence, by you. Lord, we need you. And we pray that you would come and you refresh our souls and you give us strength. I pray, especially as we talk about a topic of depression, I pray, Lord, that those who have come here, especially needy in that area, Lord, would leave filled, filled by your spirit as he works within them to give them fresh hope. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray, Lord, that your word would not return void. Lord, give us hearts that are open and good soil for this seed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last time I taught, guys, we were in um, Psalm 68, which is a psalm of celebration, and there were dancers, and there were people singing, and there were tambourines, and there were trumpets, and there was all kinds of stuff. It was a very happy psalm. And now we find ourselves here in a psalm of lament. Um, this particular psalm is actually 42 and 43 are one poem. You may have read, noticed when he read it how it's laid out. Um, if you look at it, the first um, four verses of the psalm are a lament. Then verse 5 breaks it up with a refrain of hope. And then later on, 6 through 10 are another lament. And then verse 11 is a refrain of hope. It's identical. There's this identical refrain of hope that keeps coming through. Psalm 43 is another lament. Here from one to four, and then five is that same refrain of hope. So it goes lament, refrain of hope, lament, refrain of hope. And people have said that this is one of the most sadly beautiful songs in all the Psalter. And guys, if there was a modern day worship writer of worship songs, they might think this song's kind of strange, right? They might be like, well, this will never take off. It's not real peppy. It's not real catchy. It's kind of a downer. No one's going to want to sing this. But what's interesting is you look through the Psalms is there's lots of Psalms of lament. You, a lot of you guys have been reading through the Psalms this summer, and you notice that laments are common. Because, guys, deep sorrow has been the common experience of God's people, Old Testament and New. Some of the people that have been the closest to the Lord have been the most sad in this life. So the Psalms are full of laments, and I think it's super valuable for us guys to take one Sunday out of this series to spend some time with this psalmist and his sadness. This is a song of lament, it's a song of despondency, old word, melancholy, uh, depression, this would be a common term that we'd use today. Uh, Novelist uh, William Styron, he wrote this um, memoir, uh, not a believer, not from a Christian perspective, but an amazing, it's called Darkness Visible, a memoir of madness. And this is his experiences of depression, and it's super gripping. I mean, his writing is, is amazing. Uh, hearing depression talked about from the inside and what he dealt with is amazing. I'd highly recommend the audiobook. The audible one is read by him, which uh, makes it even more gripping. But he said that the word depression, guys, is too wimpy a word for what it feels like. I mean, think about the word depression. Depression is like there's an economic downturn. Depression's like there's a dip in your lawn. It's a depression, right? Depression doesn't feel like that, guys. Depression is, is, it feels more like a howling tempest in your brain. It's like a hurricane in your mind. And this Sunday, I'm mostly going to use the word darkness because it captures both the feeling of depression and also the, the lack of clarity that it brings. So what caused this psalmist darkness? Well, we know from Psalm 32 that sometimes things that sound just like this can be due to sin. That we can sin and we can be disciplined by God and it can sound an awful lot like this. In Psalm 32, he says, When I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. 
But guys, there's no indication in Psalm 42 and 43 that this depression he's in, this darkness, is due to his sin. No indication of that. This is something that wasn't even avoidable on his part. This darkness came to him without invitation. And, and sometimes these darkness can come through circumstances. Sometimes they come in a causeless way. They come apart from circumstance. Uh, this particular writer had some dark circumstances. If you look in uh, 42.3, he says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to lead the throng in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. It says at the top of this psalm that it was uh, from the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were, um, were worship leaders. They were the people in charge of the worship ministry of the Old Testament people of God. And so it's very likely that this is a lament of a temple singer who had enjoyed rich times of fellowship in the temple, but now is exiled from the temple. If you look at verse 6, it indicates with those areas that he was in, he was a long way from Jerusalem. And so here he is, guys, exiled from the gathering worship of God's people, and it's got him miserable. And I was thinking about this in a bit of a tangent, but there's a theme in the Psalms about this. I was thinking about this, and I was wondering if most Christians today would even understand what he's miserable about. As many Christians today have a very shallow view of what happens on Sunday mor- in Sunday morning worship. We have a very shallow view. Uh, God, guys, is present here in a special way, in a way that's unique from other ways that he's present to us throughout the week. Um, we don't have a temple like they did in the Old Covenant. It says in the New Testament that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, so we are all the temple of the living God. But it also says in 1 Corinthians, it talks about um, you are the temple of the living God, and it's plural. We, as we gather as a people, are the temple of the living God. This place right here, guys, is the new covenant interface between heaven and earth. This is a special gathering. And, and I bring that up because it's, it's very common for people um, in our culture, for Christians in our culture, to you know, miss multiple Sundays in a month, kind of assuming they can make it up with maybe they'll listen to the audio online and maybe they'll sing worship in their car and maybe they'll you know, hang out with a friend and they've got all the components of church, right? But there's something that happens in the gathering of God's people on Sunday morning that's more than the sum of its parts. It, it's it, like you can't break up what's happening here into pieces any more than you can break up your marriage into pieces. I mean, imagine if you were like, well, I'm not going to get married, but I'll, I'll have a, a, someone as a friend, close friend, and then I'll have another person that will be my romantic interest, and then I'll have a third person that will be my domestic assistant. Just like marriage. No, that's nothing like marriage, right? It, it, there's something more to marriage than the sum of its parts. Just like there's something more happening here than the sum of its parts. God is doing something unique here, guys. God, people pass from death to life here on Sunday morning. Uh, believers are made strong again here. There are effects of this gathering this morning that will last for decades. Of this morning's gathering, there are effects that will last for decades and echo into eternity. Do you believe that? He believed that. And that's why when he's away from the worship of God's people, he's aching for it. He was also under attack. Look at verse 1 of uh, 43. He says, Vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. So there's some sort of attack of an enemy. There's also verbal attacks. 42.10, he says, My adversaries taunt me. They say to me all day, Where is your God? Since this psalmist was open about his faith in the Lord, his faith in Yahweh, he also left himself open to ridicule, right? So when his life's going bad, they're all saying, Where is your God? You know, like you say you worship this powerful God. Look at your life. Where is your God? You know, Satan does that too. Satan does that to us too, doesn't he? 
You know, I was thinking about the way that we are harassed spiritually all day long. I mean, I was thinking about, you guys remember in Jurassic Park, the, the first one, where the velociraptors, they're testing the fence, right? They're constantly testing the fence. Don't you feel like that sometimes? You feel like the enemy of your soul is testing the fence. He'll try lust, and that doesn't work. He'll try bitterness. He'll come over here. Unforgiveness, he'll try that, right? And then he'll use despondency. He'll use depression. He'll, he'll take us down any way that he can. It gets exhausting. That's the image we have here where he says he's like a deer hunted and dehydrated, right? Um, and, and the things that can cast you down uh, can be dark circumstances like physical pain, uh, career disappointments, financial fears, you know, family issues, losses, loneliness, past hurts, health concerns, fears of all kinds, right, that can weigh us down and drag us under. But there's another type of depression, too, and it, it's a causeless depression. <laughs> it's something that your circumstances don't explain. When you slip into a darkness that is way out of proportion to your problems, you know, it's an issue of perception. Many believers have fallen into this. I believe the psalmist regularly fell into this. Where all the normal burdens of life, which you can manage pretty well, all of a sudden become unbearable. Have you had that happen? They're all the same things you're juggling, but all of a sudden you can't juggle them anymore. All of a sudden they're unbearable. When God seems distant, he seems more like an idea, right, than a close friend. And, and you feel hopeless. There's just hopelessness that comes. And it's not that my circumstances have changed that much. It's just that my perception of them is darkened. Um, the 19th century preacher, well-known preacher Charles Spurgeon dealt with this a lot. And it's a book I highly recommend, Spurgeon's Sorrows, Realistic Hope for Those Who Suffer Depression. And it's by Zach Eswine. And it's great because it goes through like his sermons where he talked about his depression and his difficulties. And um, a really super helpful book to have. But he, Spurgeon said this. He said, My spirits were sunk so low that I could weep by the hour like a child, and yet I knew not what I wept for. You ever been there? You could weep for hours and not know why. It's a causeless depression. I deal with that kind of darkness several times a year. You know, I'm pretty buoyant most of the time, but sometimes for several times a year, I deal with this darkness. Dealt with it a couple weeks ago, two days, bummer, 4th of July. Should be a fun time, not fun. You know, the circumstances are great, but, but the darkness was there. The next day after that, still couldn't do anything. And, um, and depression, guys, is a strange and powerful creature. I mean, without cause, it can come upon you in a second. It can last for days, and then it disappears for no good reason. It's, it's, it's a monster. It's something that, that, you know, makes you feel like nothing's worth doing. You know, there's sayings about this, right? I feel like the rug was pulled out from under me, right? Or I feel like I lost all the wind in my sail. Or, you know, like a deep, dark fog rolled over to where you can't see. And, and, and circumstances may have set it off, but then the thing takes on a life of its own, right? Well, that gets to the question, what does depression feel like? And the Psalms are so rich in this. I mean, so rich in their use of metaphor. Because depression can be hard to describe. Um, psychologist Andrew Solomon says this, Since depression is a condition that is almost unimaginable to anyone who has not known it, its diagnosis depends mainly on metaphor. And that's where the Psalms are super powerful. They have these amazing metaphors that capture what it feels like to be trapped in depression. And this can be a massive encouragement to people that are depressed because you hear somebody saying exactly what you feel like. You know, depression makes you feel alone. And to hear somebody describe in graphic terms, yes, that's me, that's where I'm at, is so helpful. It's helpful, too, because some of you love someone that gets depressed. And it's an opportunity for you to taste a bit of their bitterness to understand them better. One author put it this way, the Psalms provide us a poetry of sorrow and a dictionary of sadness. Isn't that awesome? I just love that. Maybe it's partly my temperament. I mean, I like these kind of things. My family's always messing with me. They're always like, the songs you listen to are so sad. 
you know, but I like that, you know, there's something about that, there's something real about that. The Psalms guys provide us a way to communicate across the divide between those who are afflicted and those aren't. And the psalmist talks about his depression real graphically. He says this. He said his darkness is like dying of thirst. Look at uh, 42.1. As a deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? There's something desperate, guys, about thirst, right? Hunger you can deal with, but thirst is deadly. Thirst is desperate. And the image here, guys, is of a deer in the midst of drought, hunted, fainting from thirst, making that risky trip down to the water hole, which is where the predators wait for you, to try to get that last bit of something to drink, the last hope before he dehydrates and dies. And it's how the psalmist feels. He feels deprived of the presence of God. Now, God's present everywhere always, and he never leaves us. You know, he never leaves us. His spirit dwells within us. But we don't always feel that, right? The felt presence of God is another thing. He, he doesn't feel the presence of God. His darkness also robs him of earthly comfort. Look at 42.3. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. He's lost his appetite. He loses all comfort and joy from earthly things. Um, Psalm 69, which is another psalm that's great for depression. 69.88 and then these two. But Psalm 69.3 says, I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim from waiting for my God. Psalm 69.20 says, reproaches have broken my heart that I am in despair. The psalmist says that his darkness is like falling. Look at 42.5. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? There's this feeling of being cast down. There's this feeling of falling, of sinking out of control. It's a feeling of slipping, of sliding off some slippery rocks into the sea. It's like Psalm 69.2 says, I sink into the deep mire. There is no foothold. Depression can feel like falling into abyss. Is there a bottom? Will I be able to find my way out again? Am I falling into something I'll never come back from? His depression makes him feel like he's drowning. Look at 42.7. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Depression feels like drowning. It feels like suffocation. This psalm is actually the one that Jonah quotes in Jonah chapter 2 when he talked about his time of drowning in the sea. He talked about all your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. The feeling of drowning or suffocation is one of the most common metaphors sufferers depression use. Psalm 69.1, he says, Save me, O God. The waves have come up to my neck. I have come into deep water. The flood sweeps over me. Drowning in waves makes a great metaphor because the waves are relentless. Waves are a relentless thing, right? Waves, no matter what you do, they keep coming. And that's what it feels like with depression. It feels like, how can I fight a thing that never stops? It will eventually take me under. His depression feels isolating. He feels forgotten, forsaken, and alone. Look at 42.9. He says, I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Or 43.2, for you are my refuge, God. Why have you rejected me? Or Psalm 88.4, listen to this one. I, I've been counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one who's lost among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. He's like, Lord, am I dead to you? Where are you? He's isolated. Um, his darkness, his depression feels like a painful wound. Look at 42.10. He says, as with a deadly wound in my bones. Depression feels like a deadly wound, but it's not in your body. It's in your soul. <laughs> it's in your heart, which is worse, right? The Proverbs say, a man's spirit can endure a sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? It's way worse to have a wound in your soul, a wound in your heart. Spurgeon once again said, the mind can descend far lower than the body because in the mind there are bottomless pits. 
He said, the flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more, because it dies, right? But he says, the soul can bleed 10,000 ways and die over and over each hour. Depression is painful, almost in a physical type way. It's not physical, but there's a painful feeling. It's a pain of a festering wound in the mind, a crushed spirit, a bruised heart. His depression is filled with doubts and fears. Take a look at 42.5. He says, Oh, my soul, why are you in turmoil within me? Depression often comes with storms of fears and doubts, which is another reason why the word depression is too wimpy a word. You know, it's not like just like, I'm a little down. It's a storm, right? It's a storm. It's a tempest. It's a hurricane. It's a turmoil of doubts and questions and anxieties. You see it in his questions in verse 2. When in verse 3. Where? Why in verse 9. You know, he's calling out to God. It's a storm of fear and of doubts. It's like traversing a a howling desert or enduring a long winter storm. And of course, his darkness is dark. (laughs) Okay, it's dark. Verse 3, 43.3, he says to him, listen to his prayer. Here he is in this midst of depression. He says this to the Lord. He says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. (laughs) He's like, please send some light in here right? It's a feeling of deep darkness. Psalm 88, 6 says, you have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions of dark and deep. 88, 18 says, darkness has become my only friend, right? It's like the Simon and Garfunkel song, right? (laughs) Hello, darkness, my old friend. Do you feel like that when your depression comes? He's back, (laughs) you know, right? Darkness has become my only friend. It's like a bank of poisonous fog rolling in. The Psalm 23 says it's like the valley of the shadow of darkness. It's a darkness that's thick that you can't see through and it's kind of has hands and clings to you and weighs you down. Now for those of you guys who experience depression, isn't it liberating and encouraging to hear your pain described so accurately? There's just something about it to hear that and go, yes, yes. It's like you're speaking my language. It's like someone is talking to me who has lived where I've lived. And that's why I love the Psalms, guys. I love that book by William Styron because it it, it explains so well depression. I love even more the Psalms and how they describe exactly where you're from. Remember when we first started the Psalms, we talked about the Psalms have on-ramps for wherever you're at. If you're in a place of darkness, it's got an on-ramp for you. If you're in a place of anxiety, there's an on-ramp for you. And and this is the on-ramp for the depressed. This song, guys, was meant to be sung. Think about that. God's people in the Old Testament, they all get together for worship, and they sing this. Let that sink in. As a community, they sang this. There there was no stigma about depression. There was no stigma about depression because every once in a while, they all together sang the song of the depressed, whether they were or not. Isn't that amazing? Don't you just love that? Don't you just love that God would remove that stigma, that stigma against depression? There is a stigma in our culture. There's a stigma in our culture particularly because we are a you-can-do-it kind of people, right? We're Bob the Builder, I can fix it kind of people, right? That's what Americans are like. And we don't even realize how annoying we are to other cultures. Other cultures that embrace that you can't fix everything. Other cultures that embrace that, like, no, you can't live your dreams and do whatever you want, right? Other cultures know that. We don't. We're this, I can do it, let's, let's make it happen, you know, embrace all your potential kind of people. Americans are believe in yourself and you can do it. Name it and claim it. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of culture, aren't we? And so depression has this stigma. Depression looks lazy. It looks weak. It looks like people are being wimpy. They're giving excuses. They're not trying hard enough, right? Isn't that how our culture views people with depression? Dr. Martin Luther King says, It is a cruel jest to say to a bootless man that he ought to pull himself up by his own bootstraps. (laughs) Right? 
That's what our culture does. And I love how God just destigmatizes depression by saying, you know what, guys? You're all going to sing this depressing song every once in a while, whether you feel depressed or not. We're all going to do it. Can you imagine? Okay, everybody. Let's do number 42. All together now. Nice and sad. Right? Like, let's all do this together. That's the way it's meant to be sung. There's no stigma here. And guys, I want to let you know, there's no stigma here. You can come here in despair, hardly able to drag your carcass here because of your sadness, hear the good news of Jesus again, and worship even with tears. We're that kind of place, okay? You, you know, you talk about church face and all that. You got to look happy at this spot. We can tell the church face. The church face has the exact same look on everybody, right? You can come here. There's no stigma about that because some of the most heroic among us will be the most sad. This was meant to be sung. But also, guys, this is not just a psalm. It says, look at the title at the top. It says it's a, a mascal. And, and, and that comes from the Hebrew verb for to instruct. This was meant to teach us. So it's a psalm, so we're to, to sing it, to communicate our emotion, but it's also a mascal, which is meant for our instruction. It's as if the psalm is saying, like, here's your emotions, here's where you're at, let me show you where to go from here. That's what this psalm is meant to do. It's meant to lead us somewhere. There are situations where um, certainly where believers have medical conditions and need medication and those kinds of things. But guys, no matter what your situation, you're going to need instructions in the darkness. And that's what this is, guys. These are instructions for when the darkness comes. Because, you know, Psalm 42, even if you include 43, doesn't end happy. Did you notice that? doesn't end with, and then he lived happily ever after, right? No, he's still in the same situation. It ends with that third refrain, which was the same as the first refrain, right? This guy can do nothing to avoid his darkness, but there is something he can do to endure it and even be fruitful in the darkness. So these are directions in darkness, how to be fruitful in the dark. Because, guys, when you're, when you're depressed, you don't see clearly. Your perception's off. That's the whole problem, <laughs> is your perceptions are off. It's like you're a pilot and you're flying at night in a storm, and all your instruments go out, you know? And then it's like, what do I do now, you know? Perceptions are off. I don't know which way to fly. I'm not fit to pilot my own soul at this point. My, my, my perceptions are all over the place. And so the psalmist wants to guide us how to pilot our souls when we can't see clearly. Until the sun comes up, or the storm stops, or our navigation equipment comes back on, like he's going to say, this is what you should do. So what should you do when the darkness doesn't lift? First, Pour out your soul to the Lord. Look at verse 4. He says, these things I remember, his problems, as I pour out my soul to the Lord. I love that description of authentic prayer. What is prayer? It's pouring out your soul to the Lord. Don't you love that? Pour it out. And, and, uh, and that's what he's doing here in these three laments. He's pouring it out. And guys, he does overstate his problems. The psalmist often do this. He overstates his problems. He is not really rejected by God. He's not really been abandoned by God. So why does he talk that way? And he knows it, by the way. He even corrects himself. Why does he talk that way? Because that's how he feels. When you pray, you need to communicate the emotions you have, not the emotions you think you should have. Don't we do that often? You know, we want to make sure our prayers are theologically accurate and, you know, that we're being brave and doing all these things. And he's like, no, 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 pour out your soul. Tim Keller said that, he says, sometimes, he says, every single emotion you have should be processed through prayer. Sometimes, guys, I think we come away from prayer still burdened because you didn't really empty our hearts to him. There were things, there were pockets in our soul that we didn't empty, right? Things we were thinking, things we were feeling that we didn't communicate to him. Process it through prayer. You might say, well, what if it sounds dumb? It probably does. That's okay. What if it's not true? That's fine. Pray that too. What if it sounds whiny? It probably is. 
give it to him. The psalmist did that. They just poured out their soul. And so they said all kinds of things that weren't really accurate for their situation. Like, he's not really abandoned. God's not really gone. But he feels that way, right? Pray how you feel, not how you think you should feel. He'll sort it out for you. What does he do secondly? Secondly, guys, he preaches to his soul. I love this. The three refrains are exactly the same. There's one in 42.5, 42.11, and 43.5. And this is what he says to his soul every time. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He says this three times. Guys, I can't tell you how many times that refrain has saved me from the brink of disaster. There's something about that passage as he preaches to his soul, that's amazing. Because you read this and you go, who's he talking to? Isn't that interesting? He's telling all his problems and then he says, why are you cast down on my soul? He's talking to himself, right? Do you talk to your soul? Do you preach to yourself? Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones in this book, another one I'd really recommend, Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says this in it, which I love. He says this, he goes, have you realized, he's Welsh, I can't do that accent, but it's great. He says, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Do you realize that? That most of your problems in life are that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. And then he says, take those thoughts that come first thing in the morning. You've not originated them, but they're talking to you. They're bringing up the problems of yesterday. Somebody's talking. Who's talking? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he started talking to himself. When he says, why are you cast down on my soul? He asks. His soul has been depressing him, has been crushing him. And then then he says this. He says, self, listen, and I will speak to you. Like like he grabs his soul (laughs) verbally and he says, no, 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 you're going to start listening to me. He preaches the truth to his own soul. We need to do that, guys. And that's why it's so important to do what Marcel was talking about last week from Psalm 1, that excellent message about uh, filling yourself with the Word of God so you have something to preach to yourself. Because one of the manifestations of darkness is you don't feel a ton like reading usually, most people, right? You need to fill yourself with God's Word so you have something to preach to yourself. you got to stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. And what does the psalmist preach to himself? It's these three refrains of hope. These are the three things he preaches to himself. First thing he preaches to himself is that his reasons for darkness are not the real reasons. Look at 42.5. Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Guys, this refrain has helped me so much to realize that the reasons my depression gives me for why I'm in darkness are not the real reasons. And that's one of the most amazing things to realize, is that all those things your depression is telling you, they're not even true. Because you believe them at the moment, right? I mean, my wife Tosh, she'll be like, she'll know I'm in that place, and she'll say, you know, what, why are, what's wrong with you? And I, and I used to give her a huge list, which was all just <laughs> fake, right? Those weren't the real reasons. And now I tell her, you know, I could give you a list of reasons, but I won't because they're not real. You know, why are you, are you downcast on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? I could give a list of family concerns and health problems and bodily pain that I have and, you know, career disappointments, financial fears, fears about the future. I give her a huge list. Like, this is why I'm in the darkness, but it's not real. Those aren't the real reasons. These circumstances, they didn't crush me yesterday, and they're not going to crush me when it's gone. They're crushing me now. They're not real. Guys, you guys realize that in depression, the darkness comes first, and then it tries to give reasons to justify itself. I think that's super important for you to realize. Anxiety works this way, too. The darkness comes first, and then you go, like, ah, why do I feel like this? And depression goes, oh, well, it's this, this, and this. It's not. Those aren't the real reasons. Those are the reasons it's giving 
to justify its existence. It's a perception problem, like a pilot with broken instruments flying in a storm in the dark. I'm not seeing correctly. Don't trust the reasons your darkness gives. Realize your perceptions are off. You're not getting an accurate read. What else does the psalmist preach to his soul? I love this. Hope in God. Look at 42.5. He says, hope in God. What's he doing here? He's charging himself to wait for the Lord. He's focusing his waiting, because depression is largely about waiting. You're waiting to feel better. You're waiting for it to pass. He focuses his waiting on God. He's hoping in the return of the felt presence of God. He's focusing his hope on a person. He's he's not waiting for changed circumstances. He's not just waiting for his mind to clear and his perceptions to get right. He wants God. He doesn't just want a clear mind and happy circumstances. He wants God. Look at 42.1. He says, my soul pants for you, O God. 42.2 says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Guys, when you're thirsty, all you want is water. (laughs) People could offer you anything else, and all you want is water. All he wants is God. Look at 42.2. He says, when shall I come and appear before God? The only thing that will really satisfy him is God's presence. Spurgeon said this about this verse. He says, oh, to have the most intense cravings for the highest good. Isn't that cool? He has the most intense cravings for the highest good. That is a clear sign of somebody who's born again. If you're in that place, that is a great sign that you actually know the Lord. Spurgeon said the next best thing to living in the light of the Lord's love is to be unhappy till we have it and pant for it every hour. Isn't that awesome? The, 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 the next best thing to living in the light of the Lord's love is to be unhappy till we have it and pant for it every hour. I need my focus to be on waiting for the Lord. I'm waiting for the Lord. I'm wrestling with the Lord. Only he holds the key to my dungeon, right? Look at 42.7. He says, notice that he said, all your waves and your breakers have gone over me. You know, whatever's happening to me is ultimately something he's doing. So I can know that it's not senseless, even though it seems senseless. The Lord never gives us unnecessary pain. Every affliction has a purpose. The Lord is the one who must free me. Look at 43.3. He says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. You alone, Lord, have the key, right? You alone, Lord, can break light and truth into my dungeon, and that day will come. And if you're in that place right now, that day will come for you, because thirdly, he preaches to himself, this will not last She's one of the most important things people need to hear when they're in that darkness. This will not last. Look at 42.5. Hope in God. Listen, this, he's preaching this to his soul. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He's telling his soul, this will not last. And when I'm in darkness, this is what I need to hear. This is temporary because it feels like it's going to last forever, right? The waves you know, crashing over you over and over again. It's never going to end. But he says, I will again praise him. He's like, I can't praise him right now, but I will praise him. This darkness will lift. It's one of the most helpful things I've ever read in the scripture. You know, when I'm depressed now, I need to remind myself that this will not last. And you say, you will again praise him. <laughs> I know it. You will again praise him. Um. And it's important to see this because we don't want to make any decisions in this state of mind. You know, your mind's going to clear. You will again praise him. Don't make any long-term decisions over short-term emotions, right? I have to remind myself that. And that goes for big things. You know, depression kills people, right? Depression, people think it's never going to end, and they kill themselves. So I don't want to make any long-term decisions over short-term emotions. That goes for decisions about suicide. Um, that goes for smaller decisions like quitting my obligations. Don't you want to do that when you're depressed? You like, you know, send that email, send that text, maybe tell people how you really feel about them. 
This is not the right time, right? Like, I'm in darkness. I'm not perceiving right. This is not the right time to make grand pronouncements about what I do and do, don't want or how I, what I think about you. It's not the time for that. 42.5, he says, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. The light will come. Your light will come too. And meanwhile, while you're waiting for the light to come, realize this, guys. This is super important. Focus on this. Your God has sat in darkness too. You guys realize that? Your dark God has sat in darkness too. The God who will meet you in your darkness has himself sat in darkness. You realize that Isaiah called your God a man of sorrows, one acquainted with grief. There were times in his life when darkness was his only friend. Talk about somebody, a friend who can truly understand you. That's what we all long for, right? He understands what it's like to be in darkness and much more that you can't even imagine, right? The writer of Hebrews says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Guys, your darkness, your depression is not permanent. You know there is a place of permanent darkness. <laughs> Jesus faced it. There is a place of permanent darkness. It's a place, it's a, a place of torment, a howling wasteland. I feel like for those who are depressed, they get small tastes of it, of that place in the depths of their depression. But guys, Jesus Christ has rescued us from that permanent place of darkness. That, that place that, where the darkness never lifts. That place that's described as hell. Outer darkness. A place that's described as weeping and gnashing of teeth. A, a place that we've all chosen for ourselves in our countless decisions to walk away from our creator. The only one that can make us happy forever. You know, like that's why humanity's miserable. We've walked away from our creator, the only source of everlasting joy. But guys, Jesus has rescued us from the place of darkness by entering it himself. You guys realize his whole life he dreaded it too. He talks about in John and in Luke, he talks about things like, now my soul is troubled as he thought about the cross. He talked about, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am till it's accomplished. He lived with the constant shadow of the cross over his life. It was as if he lived entirely on death row his whole life waiting to go to that place for us. On the cross, Jesus Christ took our place and endured all the things that these Psalms of Lament can only point to. Think about it. Psalms of Lament talk about thirst. They talk about Jesus saying, I thirst on the cross. It was the presence of God that he was missing. The loss of all comforts, right? He had that. The hopelessness of despair. The drowning. I mean, crucifixion is a way of dying by suffocation. The isolation of him on that cross alone. The deadly wound that the psalmist speaks of, Jesus was inflicted by. The fears and the doubts. You remember him going, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember I said that the psalmist, he, he overstated his situation. Jesus didn't. He really was forsaken for us in our place to pay our debt. And then the darkness. Boy, did he endure the darkness. The darkness that even people around him could see. And after saving us from everlasting misery, he came back from the dead. Which is awesome because what he's showing us by the resurrection is not only that he paid our debt, he's showing us that he's going to make everything sad come untrue. He's going to take this world and create a new world out of it. Make all things new. He's going to take your body and he's going to make it new. He's going to make it new with a new brain that has perfect brain chemistry. Amen. How would you like that? How would you like a, a brain that actually worked for you? right? It wasn't constantly trying to tear you down. He's going to give us brains with perfect brain chemistry. A whole new way of knowing him. I mean, you know, the psalmist always talking about, like, where are you? We're going to see him. <laughs> We're never going to ask, where are you? We're going to see him. We're going to see him as he is. And guys, if he's going to bring that, then you can wait for the Lord. You can wait for the Lord if he's going to bring that. And so the last word from this is just persevere. Psalm 42 and 43 does not end happy. And I'm glad it doesn't. 
You know, the psalmist is still in darkness. But you know what's cool is he's come to learn how to hope in God even when his circumstances in his mind are dark. He's learned a way to hope in God even in the darkness. And this refrain is the same all three times, but if you read through these two psalms, the third one sounds different. Even though they're the same thing, as you read through the psalm, the third one sounds defiant. The third one, it sounds totally different. Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It's the same words, but it sounds different. It sounds, it sounds defiant. He's waiting for the Lord. He knows not to trust his emotions. He knows his darkness won't last. I love this thing. You guys read Screw Tape Letters, C.S. Lewis? It's these letters um, from one demon to another, and they're talking about how to tempt people and stuff like that. And in one of them, it says this, one demon to another. He says, be not deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in jeopardy than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do God's will, looks around through the universe in which every trace of God seems to have vanished and asks why he's been forsaken and still obeys. He's like, that's when we're dead. <laughs> you know? He's like, that's, that's when it's over. Guys, when we learn to hope in God, even as we wait in darkness, we're unstoppable. And some of you guys are those people. Some of you guys here have the most valiant faith I've ever seen, and you don't even know it. You don't know it because your depression seems so weak to you, and it hurts so much. But you're fighting for hope, and that's a true sign of God's grace in your life. Perseverance, guys, is a true evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Why are you cast down, dear soul? And why are you in turmoil? Hope in God. You will again praise him. Your salvation and your God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, just the amazingly realistic truths that you give us on things that we deal with. It's so clear to us that this is a living book. That you still speak through it. Or that you spoke as it was written, but as we read it by the Holy Spirit, you are speaking to us through it. And we thank you for your life-giving words. I pray, Lord, for all of us, send your light and your truth into any dungeon we find ourselves in. Lord, help us to hope in you. We will again praise you. And And I thank you, Lord, for this time of worship and this time of communion. And I pray as we do it, Lord, I pray that it would stir our hearts to joy, and I pray it would stir your heart to joy, to hear your people, some of your people crushed, some of your people that don't feel like they can praise today, and yet you accept their worship because you know that they are hoping in you. We thank you that you are that kind of God. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.